Previously on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. This will be quick now, so give us your best version. Ian Dempsey does impressions of Joan Burton. Can I just say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Okay, go for it. Pascal Donahue. Listen, oh, <laughs> I love a, <laughs> love a bit of basement jacks myself, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Keane. Oh, Jesus. What's going on there, Mario? Okay, Matt Cooper has a problem in um, a battery shop. Hello? You wouldn't have any AAA batteries by any chance, would you? (laughs) Well, that little clip with Ian Dempsey is a very special one indeed because it's taken from the very first episode ever of the Mario Rosenstock podcast, which launched exactly one year ago today. Um, we launched this show on Paddy's Day 2021 I was on the Late Late Show that night talking about it we shot to number one on the charts the next day because so many of you have been listening regularly subscribing following rating and telling your friends about it this podcast has been the delight of my life a roaring success so far hundreds of thousands of you have been listening in Um, we've had some great guests loads of new comedy sketches a lot of laughs a lot of unexpected little moments some revealing moments We even won an award from Apple Podcasts. They crowned us one of the top new podcasts of 2021. So thank you so much for becoming a part of this adventure that Patrick and I set out on a year ago to the day. And here's to the future. My guest on this episode is the kind of guest we love to have on the show. Full of personality um, and full of great stories. John Kieran's, better known as Jumbo, is a legend in the world of newspapers, particularly the red tops, the tabloids. When you think about the tabloids, we think sleaze, scandals, sex, showbiz, celebrity exposés. And if that's what you picture, well, then you're completely and utterly bang on. You're right. It's a fascinating, thrilling, sometimes dodgy world. And Jumbo has been deep in it for his whole career. And in this chat, he spills the beans. He used to go out like at 12 o'clock every day and he would have four or five large vodkas, triple vodkas, blue label. Jesus. And then he'd come back in and, and, and have two. And he'd go bananas. <laughs> and he'd be effing and blinding Temper. and swearing and the whole lot. Yeah. Like, he says, do you want to ride into Kuwait? I says, I do, yeah. It'd be brilliant, yeah. Well, he says, we're going to give you, Paddy, a front seat ride. Oh, so Jesus, he put us yeah. up in the front with the tanks. Yeah. And we'd have got a whole front seat ride right into Kuwait. We were one of them. and Nick were probably two of the first journalists into Kuwait City oh for God. the liberation. It was very, very emotional. I would have met Johnson, right, on the road in the north uh, during the whole peace process and negotiations. He was working with the Daily Telegraph. You know, and he was a clown. You know, and I would have been in the cram bar having points with him and the whole lot. He was just a fucking dickhead, yeah. right? I can't believe, I could not believe, right, that this guy became Prime Minister of England. And we had a party that went on for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting to see our ladyship arriving. But anyway, we were in a restaurant one night and uh, we were all that pissed, right, that Julia Roberts was actually in the restaurant, <laughs> right, sitting at the table next to us, right, and we were all that pissed, right, none of us recognised her. I promise you, you do not want to miss this chat with Jumbo Kearns uh, coming up very shortly. And interestingly, we recorded this conversation just before Russia invaded Ukraine. It was around the time that the Russian Navy were off the coast of Cork and there were rumblings about an invasion of Ukraine, but it had not happened yet. But interestingly, Jumbo did talk about his time as a journalist covering the war in the Middle East and what that was like. And when you hear it now, given everything that we're seeing on the news every day, It really is quite an eye-opener about what civilians are facing there on a daily basis. So, it's St. Patrick's Day 
Happy Law of Audric, everyone. I've been tuning into some of my favourite podcasts, as usual, keeping an eye on the competition out there while out on my daily walks this week. And they're all talking about the big day in their own, of course, inimitable style. I'm Nicola Talent. Join me for my new series, Witness, Toe Rags Through History. In episode one, I chronicle the life and times of a psychopathic lowlife who went by the name St. Patrick or Paddy to his friends. As a boy of 16, Paddy had it rough, captured by pirates in Wales and brought to Ireland where he lived as a slave. Later freeing himself from bondage, Paddy soon set up his own organisation, distributing the crystal meth of its day. Shipped in from Europe, Paddy called it Christianity. Soon the streets were filled with it. Thousands became addicted. Once on Christianity, you became hooked immediately. Patrick himself was known to stand on the streets with a cross and a shamrock, getting people into what he called the Big C. Like a lot of criminals, Paddy was fascinated by and even paranoid about snakes. He didn't just have a crook, he was one. Soon, Paddy had disciples. It's hard to believe that nowadays we have just one criminal lowlife called the Monk. Back in 450 AD, there were literally thousands of monks roaming the neighborhoods, dealing for the daddy of them all, the socio-paddy, St. Patrick. Joanne! What? What are you doing for Paddy's Day? Do you know what? I fucking love St. Patrick. I never knew you were religious. Religion, my big sweaty bollocks. I'm talking about the actual St. Patrick. What? The dude. He was a fucking ride vogie. Look at him. Oh, come on, Look at that beard. Big hunk of fucking hipster love. Oh, Joanne, no. Fogey priests give me the horn. You know that? I know, but you can't say that, Joanne. Your man, the collar in Fleabag. Filthy as fuck. (laughs) St. Patrick was the Fleabag priest of the Dark Ages, woman. Look at the size of that crook. Ride him sideways, I would. Jesus, that's seriously wrong, Joanne. So what? No, but it is. Give me confession afterwards. I could get the ride and then the absolution at the same time. Bonus Ballsville. Oh my God, you know he drove all the snakes out of Ireland though, yeah? Except the ones stuffed into that lovely green pants of his. You can't say that. No wonder Irish eyes were smiling, what? Oh my God. (laughs) Well, that's Paddy's day. And there's another big day coming up very soon that all the kids and husbands of Ireland will need to be very aware of. That's right, it's Mother's Day, of course. What are you going to get her to say thanks for being a very special mammy? It's a tough one, right? Don't you think? Don't worry. You're not the only one in a panic. Now, the panic. There's panic on the live line. My screen is filling up here. It's boring up here. Mother's Day. People are desperate as to what to get their mammies for Mother's Day. Jerry. Joe, you're a lifesaver. Thanks for having me on. Hold the line, Ambrose. Oh, yeah, Joe, I'm rightly stuck. I don't know what to get the mother at all. I'm just absolutely... What about flowers, Ambrose? She's allergic to pollen, Joe. Oh, jeez. We got her flowers last year as well, Okay, Jerry, 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 what about chocolates? No, she's watching the weight, Joe. I'm desperate, Joe. Give us an idea. Okay, okay. Hold the line, lads. Hold the line. Hold hold the line. Hold on. We have an expert on the line. We have an expert. Thanks, Joe. Nobody knows more about mammies than this next guest. Oh, Daniel Joe. O'Donnell, good afternoon to you. How are you, Joe? How are you, lads? How are you, Daniel? I feel How your you? pain, but Great. I have the answer Thanks. for you. Great. You yeah. want Mother's Day gifts. Aye. All yeah. in the one place. That's right. So you're not yeah. running around. Right. You know where you'll go, uh, lads. Curries. 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 Forget about chocolates and your flowers. 
Mammies nowadays, they're all modern lads. Treat your mammy to tech. Tech? Curries have it all. Right. Smartwatches. Mammies love smartwatches. Kindles. <laughs> she loves reading, yeah. Curries have a great range of tablets as well, lads. Does she like an old glass of wine? She loves it. Yeah, she wine does, coolers she does, up in curries are second to none. Does she like music? Oh, she does. Loves she curries music. Curries have music. a fantastic range of turntables for playing the old records. Fantastic. Oh, I'll fantastic. even throw in me old greatest hits. No, 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 your grand. No, 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 no grand, Daniel, that, that, oh, that's no, gone no, too no, far. No, that's no, gone no, too no, far, no, Daniel O'Donnell. No, no, thanks, thanks, thanks. Good luck, Daniel. For all your Mother's Day gifts, it's got to be curries. We won't be beaten on price. So there you heard it. Treat the special mommy in your life to tech this year. Curries have everything you need to put a smile on her face and their prices, of course, will never be beaten. So are you ready to immerse yourself in the strange, cutthroat, yet fascinating world of tabloid journalism? There's no one better to bring you there. John Kieran's has been all around the world. He's done scoop after scoop on every celebrity. He's as opinionated as they come. The way I liked him. But we started at a very important place. What was I going to call him during the interview? So, um, will I call you John or Jumbo? Whatever you want. So why are you called Jumbo? Well, it's, it's a story in that. Okay, go on. Tell me why you're called Jumbo. <laughs> when my first nickname was called, it was called Pothead. <laughs> which is an absolutely terrible nickname. When I was about six years of age, because I was apparently had this big, massive head. Okay. Some people still say, I still have a big, massive I head. I was worried that you were smoking no, weed when you were no, six. No, no, I wasn't, no. no. So anyway, in, growing up in Drogheda, in an area in Drogheda called the Leak Street, Dooley Gates called lo- locally, we used to have races in the late 60s on the streets to kids. So it was around the time that the Jumbo Jack came out. <laughs> and I used to win loads of the races. So they then started calling me, instead of calling me Pied, they started calling me Jumbo Jack, right? <laughs> so then after that, uh, they knocked up the, the uh, jet, and, I got knocked, and it was just known as Jumbo. So effectively, I've been called Jumbo since I was eight years of age. And yeah. of course, everybody in journalism in the last 20 years always think it's all to do with my, my excessive weight and drinking and partying and all the rest of it and being a social animal and that kind of well, thing. You, you can't, but it's nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's no, all to do with my running skills. Yeah, right. running skills, exactly. Absolutely. Your speed. Speed. And it's your reflexes. And tw- it's, I think the athletes call them fast twitch fibres. Absolutely. Um, but I had to stop running then, you see. Yeah. I became a journalist. Exactly. And I was running away from people. I was <laughs> running after people. And that's why you're here, because of your journalism. Yeah. Um, so the way I see it is, uh, you, the, way, the way I get it is, just from your notes and Patrick talking to, you, to Patrick about you, is from, from as early as you were knee-high to a grasshopper, you always wanted to be a journalist. Yeah, see, my, my dad was uh, was a compositor in the Draw and the Pennant. What's a compositor? Uh, he was the guy who put the metal paper together. Do you know how it was all put in yes. hot metal? Yes. So he was able to read upside down and he would put the paper together, the metal, yeah. numbered all the type. Yeah. He put all that together. Mm. So that's what he did. He was a compositor. Mm. And, but part-time he used to write. And he used to write sports. So he'd cover the GAA and the Greyhounds and the hair course and, and the dogs. And I used to go to all these things with him growing up. So And he used to write for the kind of part-time for the sport and press for the for the for sport and press which was the Greyhound Bible at the time mm-hmm. he'd write for the Indo the press the examiner if it was loud matches or depending on what it was mm-hmm. uh, and, and also with the Greyhounds again and the racing so I always had this interest so dad was always at home typing mm-hmm. at the weekends so all I ever wanted to be was a journalist yeah. but the thing was I was crap at English <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't great in English yeah. now, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just about scraped. I did honours English in my leaving and just about passed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I was a nosy guy. Yeah. And I, I always had a gift, which was I could see a story from. I just had this gift that I could see a story from a million miles away. What is a story? 
Stories is something that interests people. What yeah. people talk about. So you had a you you feel you had a nose I had a for nose. something that people want to what might want to know yeah, about. Oh, I could see something. I had a gift. I would say that I could see something happening that was going to happen news wise before it would ever happen. Yeah. And I could smell a story from a million miles away. Yeah. You know, and it was a gift that I was blessed with. And then in the early 80s, you landed in the Sunday world. I landed in the Sunday world. And this uh, was at a time, just to put it into perspective. This was the mid 80s. Golden age for journalism. Golden age for journalism in Ireland. Certainly the golden age for the Sunday world. Mm. Sunday world was deep paper. Yeah. And and, and that's what everybody. How many people are buying it every week at this time? At the time I was working there, it was about 380,000 people every Sunday. Yeah. And if you think of it, the population of the country then was only about three and a half million. That's right. Right? Yeah. And and that was 280,000 in the south and 100,000 in the north. But and one of the things you were involved with, uh, Jumbo, was the kind of, you were a kind of a prototype Paul Williams as well. Well, I was there early before. Story, early yeah. stories about yeah. the crime scene. Yeah, well, I, I would have done, uh, before Williams joined, uh, I would have done a lot of stories on Martin Cahill in general. Yeah. So I would, I was, I was, I wrote the story when we exposed uh, Martin Cahill you, as the general. You named him. I, yeah, when we named him the mm. paper. And I, I wrote that story and uh, that night the, the general sent I, I'd moved my car out of the Sunday World car park across the road to Brady's pub which was our local mm. and parked it in the car park there and when the paper came out the general sent a team up and they, they slashed every tire of every car in the Sunday World car <laughs> yes, park okay. right for all the journalists all the printers uh, my car was across the road and I got away with it <laughs> <laughs> they must have loved you for yeah, that they did, yeah, but I had the pleasure of fronting Cattle up on several occasions and talking to him through his letterbox in Cooper Town tell me give us, give us an example Example of that now. I was just going up, Mister Cahill. How you doing? I was giving a. So you've been I, talking through the letter. Through the box. letterbox. I, I had a lot of. I had, I had some I, great I, contacts in the cops there. Based on my experience of watching him on telly, all I can. That's right. Yeah, and you talk to him, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm not talking to you. I've nothing to say. I've nothing to say. How can you live here, Martin, in this big house, and you're on the doll? I've nothing to say. I've nothing to say. Leave me alone. Leave me. Leave me pictures alone. Yeah. So you had no problem about fronting. Absolutely, we had no problem at all. But you'd always do it in pairs of at least two of you. You would never go in front of anyone on your own. So there would always be a photographer or another reporter with you. And and that's how it was done. And then Williams Paul came along and then he started doing all the crime stuff and did the most amazing job for the paper. But the paper then just wasn't about crime. It was much about sex as anything else. Sex and scandal. As I always say, there's, there's four elements for a tabloid newspaper. You know, and I always call it the four S's. So it's sex, scandal, showbiz and sport. Mm. And, you know, to be a good editor or tabloid editor, that's, you know, the four foundations of your product, mm. right? And every editor tries to get what they call, you know, the perfect template for your book or for your paper, you know, and what sells. So if you've got a formula or a template that works and sells, you don't change mm. it. You don't fuck with it and you don't mess with it. Mm. And at that time, Colin McLennan had that template yes. in Sunday World and it was amazing. And it was like a little sex scandal in the back hole of nowhere down the West would sell as much as anything. I remember that, and it wasn't just all about crime. It was all about um, scandal, showbiz. Yeah, you know, a little person in a village raising a hundred grand for doing something extraordinary. You know, people swimming in bogs. It was, it was all sorts. It was all sort of mad stuff yeah. from rural Ireland. Yeah. And the foundations of the paper was very much built on rural Ireland. Yes, because people just loved and loved a bit of scandal. That now, was it. One of your all, one of your big ambitions, though, was to work in Fleet Street. Yeah, my whole thing really was to get to Fleet Street. Yeah. So tell me about some of your adventures in Fleet Street. The different, I mean, you've gone from the Drogheda uh, newspaper, from, you know, your dad being a compositor, 
um, you've gone from the Sunday world, you arrive in Fleet Street, you're on good, great money. Yeah. Um, expenses alone are great. Yeah. And then you're in the, you know, if, 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 if financial district in London is the hub of European finances, well, this the, is the, the hub. The thing was, of, it was just a great buzz, you know, and yeah. a tabloid journalist is a ruthless business, right? Uh, journalists are absolutely, it's so competitive when you're on the road, you're going out against each other. And even in the newsrooms of existing papers, it's seriously competitive. But I was treated very well uh, by the news desk and by my colleagues there. Um, and uh, I had no bother asking them how to spell a word. I had no bother to ask them, would you have a look to the old or senior hacks? Going to them when I wrote the intro of a story and saying, what do you think is that? Was any good? Can I improve it? Is it crap? Can you teach me? And I was very humble and I was very willing to learn. Uh, and I made sure I went out with them every night and bought them a drink and got well in with them so I, I could learn as much as I can. And not only that, but get the contacts. Because and what was their attitude towards the an Irish numbers, journalist? No problem whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely none. Yeah. Like we had this Scottish news editor, and I won't name him, but he used to, he used to go out like at 12 o'clock every day and he would have like uh, four or five large vodkas, triple vodkas, blue label. Jesus. And then he'd come back then and, and, at half two and he'd go bananas. <laughs> and he'd be effing and blinding Temper. and swearing and the whole lot. Yeah. Like, where's and this, this of course, story? was part of this, the, this was was part big of the drinking culture. culture. Yeah. I mean, you went off in the afternoon for lunch. He wouldn't go back. I mean, the editor used to go. They would have conference at half 12 and they'd head off then at about, at about half one, quarter to two for lunch. The editor and his team. And they'd arrive back at five o'clock. Hmm. Right, and they'd often have the bottles of wine and all the rest of it. And he'd he'd have a chauffeur driven car, Brian Wood, and all the rest. And then they come back at five o'clock, and then they'd have this evening conference, and then all the decisions would be made. Hmm. And then they'd be there till about ten o'clock at hmm. night until the first editions of the paper come up. And then they'd be away again, and they'd go to the pub, and they'd be away till one or two in the morning. And then they start all over again the next day. Unbelievable! And that was the culture. The like, hollow legs. Through, oh, um, yeah, hollow legs. I mean, you know, that's the way it was. Yeah. And then, like, if you're a reporter and you got a really great story. You you know, and you had to splash. You went out the next day. You're, you know, you're allowed to go out, have a few beers, put in your expenses. You know, yeah. and everybody was happy about it because yeah. once you were bringing in the stories and the papers, were selling. They yeah. were selling millions in those days. And right? how did your nose for a story work when you were in that job? Tell us, tell us if you can some of the scrapes well, you were involved well, with or the well, stories. Well, you were some involved of the stuff. With, I, mean, I remember like going up to uh, Manchester and I was doing the whole story on uh, with uh, Alex Higgins. And I had a bust up with him. I think it was the time he became world champion. Then he split up with his missus. And yeah. I did a whole story. He had an affair with another woman. And I fronted him up and he went for me with a snooker cue. And had, <laughs> did he? I had to nearly rip the head off him and hold him. I can't you know, He was a tiny right. little slip of a fella. Yeah, a little slip like. of a fella, right? Uh, so that was one, you know. Uh, I would have done a lot of stuff about um, um, uh, the Labour Party in Liverpool. And Daisy Hatton and some of the corruption right. that was oh, going yes. on within yes. within the Labour Council there. Then I remember going down the Channel Tunnel. Uh, we did a whole expose, security expose in the Channel Tunnel when the Channel Tunnel was being built. So I got in undercover and walked right through the tunnel you know, posing as an IRA terrorist and all this, right? Oh, Jesus. So we did pictures of all that and there was a huge security. There and was, was massive, this to expose... The whole security failures within the Channel Tunnel and how it was a sitting duck for an IRA attack. You know, uh, and then, you know, you're talking about IRA attacks. It happened to be about an hour from Deal on the day of the Deal bombing in which mm. nine Royal Marine bandsmen were killed. Mm. And I remember driving into the town and I met Tommy Merrin, who was then a mirror reporter, who told me to get out of town quick with the Irish accent or I'd be lynched. 
Mm. So I went to a hotel. Tommy t- took me to a hotel in in Folkestone, which wasn't too far away, and I had to kind of stay there for for the full, for about twenty four hours because it was just too dangerous for an Irishman to go there go into deal after the bombing. So my, my, the rest of my colleagues filled me in on the story, and I was able to get stuff from Dublin on the Republican end of it. And to give them a bit I mean, back in the hold up. One of the things that you, you, the notes with Patrick, we, we discussed is you were nearly shot and killed a few times. Well, I was, yeah. Well, I mean, with, with a couple of uh, close shows, I mean, I went out to the Gulf. Uh, I was one of the first reporters into Kuwait um, for the Daily Star and the Express in, um, in 1991. Um, I covered the Gulf War and was sent out there. Brian Hitchens sent me out. So I was based in Dharan mm. and I did a couple of stints there, I did a couple of stips in Amman and Jordan. So we were one of the first, I wasn't embedded as I say, with the Americans or with the Brits. Which is le- so, more, which, more which dangerous. Far more dangerous, yeah. yeah. So we were on our own, myself and a mate of mine, Nick Parker, who's a journalist with the Sun, he still works with him. He's our chief foreign cars correspondent. And Phil Hannaford, a photographer, who's now retired. And we would have uh, gone right through the desert, you know, through the burning, uh, through the through, through the burning, the forest, oil fields. The, the oil we got into Kuwait. I remember getting it coming into Kuwait. We had a little Jeep, my little Jeep called Baby, a little Suzuki, white Suzuki Jeep. We ended up meeting these Americans on the way in the middle of the desert and there was this corner from Boston so this was the front line American advance force going into Kuwait yeah. so we were picked up by the Americans and we met this corner from Boston and he asked me where so I said well I'm Irish you know and he says well I'm Irish too he says a big cigar typical Yankee corner he says my folks he says are from Mayo I said jeez that's great and he says he says, do you want to ride into Kuwait I says I do yeah be brilliant yeah well he says we're going to give you Paddy a front seat ride oh, so Jesus, he put us yeah. up in the front of it with the tanks yeah. and we'd have got a whole front seat ride right into Kuwait we were one of them Seth and Nick were probably two of the first journalists into Kuwait City oh for the God. liberation and we had all the people out in the streets waving their flags yeah. women with their kids crying fathers yeah. crying it was very very emotional and I spent I would have spent about two weeks then doing all the uh, cleaning up operation in Kuwait which was horrendous seeing all dead bodies in the morgues one morgue I've seen seven brothers who'd all been tortured and murdered by the Iraqis all from the one family it was like some of the stuff was awful you know what we've seen um, the close shades we had in it's terms funny, it's of it's funny the, Jumbo the way you it's funny the way you talk about stuff like this mm. because it's coming through the prism of a hardened journalist yeah and so your voice doesn't kind of quiver or stop or you just reel it out like because yeah, you've seen I mean, so you, many things you know, I've seen so many things in my life and also remember when you've seen I know this is going to sound terrible but when you've seen a bit like a doctor when you've seen one body you've seen 20 bodies you've seen mm. 40 bodies you become an in you become immune to it right but it's not it's not as if those, that one of those bodies is John O'Neill who lived beside you for 20 years and is your neighbour or is your friend from school and I know they're all human beings and it's terrible what happened but you're not emotionally involved you can't get you cannot get emotionally involved in the story exactly no you're a Never. journalist you're working you're the working. same as a doctor you report it you the know, same you as go, a doctor would you go be. and you see all the bodies you see yeah. the torture you see what happens to them you speak to the widows and, 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 and their family and you write the story of what happened to that family you know, and it was horrendous you know but I mean if I was to start getting emotionally involved you know about on different stories you wouldn't be I would, able to function I wouldn't be able to function yeah. and, and I, I'd be here all night to be quite honest about it mm. there was another night we were in, in our hotel in Dharan yeah. and a bomb uh, a Scud missile came in and it just missed their wing of the hotel and, and hit it a, uh, a hit a gym and 40 US Marines were killed yeah 
You know, I know, and that was all happened in a couple of minutes. And we all remember as well those Scud missiles. Absolutely, were shit. yeah. You know, they some were of them just shit. shit yeah. like. And then the Patriots were taking them out most nights. But yeah, there was one or two that got through. But they were the worst missile ever. ever. Yeah, you know, but people would remember from CNN, your man shaking Jacobs. Was he was always live on the telly at the time. They had the, 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 the Iraqis had the Scud missile. That's right. But then. Remember, we used to compare it um, when we were watching it on television mm. to the Tomahawks. Tomahawks. And the Tomahawks yeah. used to be able to go down the street, yeah. look right and left, yeah. and decide which way they want to turn. And then they just go, oh, no, let's go right. So, like, they were actually just supersonic, yeah. kind yeah, absolutely, of, you know, yeah, um, yeah. unbelievable. But, I mean, I would have seen a lot of, I mean, I remember going on the road to Basra and you see the whole uh, uh, Iraqi army fleeing Kuwait and they were just absolutely annihilated. And all it was was just born in vehicles, bodies everywhere. The smell, the carnage was just horrendous, you know. I remember, you know, we were nearly vomiting on the side of the road. It was that bad, you know. But you can't, you can't, if you start thinking about all this stuff, you know, you have to park it. You know, that's what you have to do. Another night, I mean, at home in Belfast, I nearly got killed another night in Belfast. And I got on the wrong side of a right. Um, and uh, it was uh, a, a load of loyalists came out and opened fire and a bullet just missed me by a fraction. Could you hear it go by? Yeah, yeah just yeah. literally, with his boy. He had a wall behind me and went there. Uh, and I was very lucky that night. I was with a photographer friend of mine. He's, he's been photographer of, of the year in Britain three times. Alan Lewis is based in Belfast. Mm. And we were very lucky that night. And we, you know, we just kind of winged our way out of it, you know, but we got on the wrong side of the, of events. And around that time in the 90s, you know, we, it, it was, you know, we were coming to the end game of, of the troubles, but a lot went on, you know. The, the, uh, we had, you know, the Shankill bombing, we had uh, the Grey Steel Massacre. I mean, there was a lot of killings. You know, we had the Oma bomb then, you know. We, you Lock know, Island. The lo- Lock and Island. So there was a lot of stuff that went down in the 90s that was pretty awful, you know. You, you um, one, of the, one of the huge journalistic and celebrity figures you kind of um, became involved with was Piers. Yeah. Piers Morgan. Yeah, well, Piers Morgan. Um, he I effectively became your direct line boss, didn't he? Yeah, he was my boss, yeah. Mm. I mean, I would have worked with Piers or against Piers in the road in London. Piers was writing his column for The Sun. So I would have met him out on various different gigs. You know, and the job I was in, you, you could be sent in a hard news story, you could be sent in a showbiz story, you could be sent in a royal story. You know, somebody's marriage split up, you could be ended up doorstepping them. You know, so it all, there was various stuff. So I would have got to know Piers and I would have I would have met him on, you know, several occasions. I would have had a drink with him. And then I, I ended up working for Piers. He, he, I became a deputy editor, Irish Mirror editor. And then he was the editor in London. Hmm. You know, and I had worked for him as a reporter in Ireland. When, when I was covering for the Mirror in Ireland, I was a reporter. Kind of, okay, we did a local edition of a couple of page chains, but really you were the Ireland correspondent working for the mothership in London if that makes sense yeah. so 50-60% of my stories were going into the main edition in London Is it a bit like the Irish Daily Mail and the, the Daily Mail? Yeah but uh, yeah it was a bit like but I mean I would have done stuff like say when Father Ted came out when I went over to, to Inishir and did the real Craggy Island and did a whole feature yeah. and that would have made it in Britain you know so and then I was doing all the, the stuff in the north and there was various stories down here at U2 or massive at the time you know there was all different stuff mm. Sinead O'Connor was sort of had, became famous there was really a lot of stuff going on here at that time you Christa Borg you know uh, he, he was living here he was involved in a scandal at that time you know the list goes on and on mm. I mean, there, was a, there was a hell of a lot of stories here yeah. you know and how did you get on with Piers? Brilliant. Yeah. Great guy to work for. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, now, he's a funny one, Jumbo, isn't he? Well, I don't think he's a funny well, one. I do. Because Some people think he's an egomaniac. No, I don't. You see, I think it's funny. Well, people, like everything else in the, in the world we live in at yeah. the moment, people polarise people. Yeah. So, M&Ms polarise people. Yeah. 
Trump polarizes people. Yeah. Boris polarizes people. Uh, you name it, it polarizes people. We jump into camps. Yeah. And Piers Morgan po- polarizes does, people. Yeah. But funnily enough, he doesn't polarize me because I think that there's both good and bad in him. So, well, I mean, so in other words, I sometimes, you might be talking to somebody about Piers Morgan, oh, that gobshite, right? But sometimes you'll hear Piers Morgan talk nothing but total sense. Yeah. At other times he can be incendiary and deliberately provocative yeah. and talking bollocks. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. so he has good and bad in him. Yeah. Um, but just as a journalist though, right? Because yeah. this is why you're here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's kind of pretty much irrefutable sort of evidence that he kind of had a bad, let's say, he, he really had, it comes out badly of the phone hacking um, business. <sighs> I mean, what about, no, and this gets to a deeper question, doesn't it, yeah. Jumbo? Yeah, well, it does, yeah, but I, I would accept that. I mean, the, the phone hacking that went on in, in the mirror, right, uh, I certainly wasn't aware of any of it, to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest, right? But I think most of it was confined to the Sunday mirror and to the Sunday people. There was little or none of it on the daily, from as right. far as I'm aware yeah. of, okay? There was none of it going on on the daily. And Piers was editor of the Daily Mirror. Not he, he had nothing to do mm. with the Sundays at that time. Okay, now Piers Morgan, if you're, you know, there's a difference between being an editor who's not on television and then being a TV personality, or being a TV presenter, presenting a, a, a morning breakfast show mm. or interviewing people doing real life stories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Therefore, you know, uh, you know, being on front of television, like people create a persona for themselves, yeah. as we all know. And as I say, it's showbiz, darling. They come across with this image. Piers built up, deliberately would have built up his image on mm. breakfast television in Britain to be a right bollocks interviewing people, yeah. giving politicians a hard time, passing comment on stories and what he thinks, yeah. you know. you know. But as an editor... To work with, you know, he was brilliant to work with. Yeah, that's all I can say. And I, and I know, I'll but stepping to, back from it for no, a second, even, even stepping back from it, you know, like he was right. He was right. Like he campaigned against the war in Iraq, and he was right. There was no evidence. Yeah, you well, know, what Blair, about hacking Blair. into people's emails or, or or phone messages, for example, just to get a story. <sighs> well, hacking into people's phone messages is not something that went on in Britain, by the way. That would have went on in a lot of newsrooms in this town. Actually, Bertie Ahern's phone was hacked. There you go. Yeah, in 98. So, to make anyone, it, to, yeah, to, to I'm, I'm, point. Yeah, I'm just telling you, I mean, that did go on here. Mm. And, uh, you know, and uh, there was no, yeah. there, there no, was no, little no. or no big but, deals about but, it. No, but what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to get to the bigger picture. Yeah, and that but is, I mean, Piers Morgan, my, my view is that Piers Morgan, certainly the Mirror News Desk, and I would have known them all in London, mm. were not aware certainly of, of any journalists within the office hacking mm. uh, phones. Now, the Sunday papers were different animals, mm. different editors, different beasts. So, so you're saying Sunday papers, are, by their nature, were more ruthless? More competitive, more ruthless, more, more time. More capable of doing More money. More money. Right? More, and more resources. Capable, more resources. Yeah. And, you know, so you yeah. either paying for stories... Or what happened then was yeah. they were either hacking for them. Yeah. You know, News of the World was paying their hacking team or Glenn McGuire, whatever his name was, the, the uh, what do you call it, private investigator yeah. who was working with them, okay? Mm. But if you look at it, you know, what I find, you know, about, about the whole hacking thing was the way Murdoch sold his own people out. Yeah. within News International yeah, okay. and threw them all to the wolves. Yeah. People who had nothing to do with it, mm. like mm. some senior reporters, mm. were all investigated mm. and suspended Right, do, and and they turned out to be totally innocent. Yeah, do, do, and Mordek just hung them out to dry. Gotcha, yeah. to save his own skin. But do you know the way you said you were on the way in, uh, out of Kuwait or the way into Basra or out of Basra, yeah. and, and you're just seeing bodies everywhere, yeah. and you have to be detached from it. Yeah, like how do you feel about the whole idea of like journalists hanging out of trees and in bushes and chasing people down the road and being incredibly invasive? How do you kind of? It's, I'm interested in how you 
marry that with the fact that it is a profession that you're involved with. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we see, you know, everywhere you go now, people got cameras in your face. You walk down the street, people have phones everywhere. Phones are now cameras. Mm. So everywhere you go, you've got cameras in your face. So it's never been more evasive than it is at the moment. Mm. You know, you know, absolutely no doubt about that. Mm. Uh, you know, people at the time, up trees, taking pictures, you know, those stories were in, in the public interest. People wanted to read celebrity stories. They were taking pictures of celebrities. Mm. What makes me laugh about celebrities, and especially some of those who sued us, is they all had no problem using the paper, and it's still papers, and it still goes on to this day, and it really wound me fucking up as an editor, right? Was all these celebs, and even in this in this town, right, you know, who, who, were, who were using the papers for their own gain, for their own publicity, to push their own brands and then at the first time it's a sign of trouble or you know they didn't want to keep their personal lives private you know uh, they wanted to use their kids to promote brands but yeah they wanted the kids kept yeah. out of their own private lives yeah you know I mean the one thing about you too they kept the kids out of everything that's why I've always respected you too you know we never wrote about the kids because they kept the kids every ever they never never tried to manipulate the children the amount of celebrities out there now who use the kids to make money for very various commercial ads and all the rest of it it's just appalling mm. right and then they're complaining that if we write a story of the man that marriage has broken up that it's an invasion yeah. of privacy you know and then the same people want to come along then and one side or the other wants to sell the story mm. because they'll do anything for money mm. you know half the celebrities out there at the moment this country I wouldn't wipe my arse with them to be perfectly honest mm. and I've no time for them mm. and I hate all this celebrity culture I mm. really do mm. I despise it you know mm. and that's why I really respect you know like you know I, I have huge time for Hugh too I've, Bono gets a really bad press I have a lot of time for him I, I respect him I respect Alan Clayton these boys have done it and it never went to their heads. Mm. You know, these boys have been rock stars the world over, you yeah. know, you know, and I really respect them. Uh, and, and, and there's people there now I would have absolutely no respect for. Okay. You, you had, um, <laughs> you did had, I make myself clear on that one? You fucking did, Rui. Jumbo, take it easy there now. Just fucking, turn it into cool, a mirror conference. Cool the fucking beans. <laughs> I'm not the story today, Roy. Um, what was I going to say there is the, Louis Walsh. Yeah, because you know, you're in this, you're in this territory now, Irish yeah. celebrity. And yeah. Tell me about your 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 uh, brushes, if you like. Yeah, well, I'd know Louis Walsh from when he was a kid when he was starting off when he was going around working for Tommy Hayden's in his leather trousers and leather jacket. So that's how far back I know Louis Welch. So basically, you know, I would have had a love-hate relationship with Louis Welch. Well, no love-hate. I Basically, I would have had a take-no-shit relationship with Louis Welch or his ego over the years. At the same time, when his ego was under control, I like him. I think he's a nice fella. He can talk to me. When his ego gets out of control, I think he has to be put in his place, you know. But he does talk a lot of bullshit. You know, and, and certainly the way he treated some of his groups over the years, you know, this whole thing that he was managing them. So some of the time he wasn't managing them was all nonsense. Mm. And would you see give out to you about coverage? Or oh, no, he would have come, yeah, he would have been complaining to me at times, maybe sometimes when Paul Martin was their showbiz guy when yeah. I was editor, and he would have been complaining about Paul. Now, him and Paul were great mates for years, and then they had a row. You know, he didn't like something that Paul wrote about Westlife, or I think he went to Shaden Finan's wedding and was invited as a guest and he would have gone on well with the lads and he might have written something about from the wedding that didn't go down well and Louis didn't like it and then there was a big row and a big drama you know and then Louis beyond you know making all this threats that he would draw all coverage of, and at the time the X Factor was such a huge show that he would draw all cooperation between the X Factor you know yeah. in Britain he would get Kel not to deal with the mirror in London yeah. so he'd try and you know have me by the balls so would you have shouting matches in with absolutely. Louis Walsh? yeah yeah, and in no course, uncertain terms. Yeah. And I take no shit from him, and yeah, he knows that. 
Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, and what, how is he? Does he? He's no shrinking violet either. No, he's not. No, but I get on well with Louis. I don't know about Louis. We're so a bit of a laugh. So you're both game. unloading on yeah, each other on game. the phone. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a game. Yeah. I've nothing personal against Louis Welch yeah. in any shape or form. Yeah. I wouldn't wish him nothing but the best. And, li- and, 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 you know, I'm glad he was so successful. So, so but what I wouldn't take to is people. Impressive. Could, yeah, but I wouldn't take to someone trying to blackmail you or trying to threaten you. Yeah. You know, maybe blackmail is too late, but trying to threaten you and to hit shit where it hurt. Because at that time, you know, the mirror in London would have been hugely dependent on X Factor stories. Yeah. Louis was a judge hidden in with Cal. I mean, this is how it all works. I mean, it is a nasty fucking rotten business at times, you know, and, and you have to be able to stand up for yourself and fight your corner, you know. But equally, I made it very clear to Louis in no certain mm. terms that if he wanted to go to war with me, he would be going to war. Mm. It's the way I've been slanting it there for the last couple of minutes, it's 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 like I'm kind of fishing around and looking for the bad side of what might call you know red tops. And you're yeah. talking about it's a, it's a dirty business, a nasty business. But at the same time, I think in in some business. in some ways it is. But in some ways, it gets an unfair rap at some stage because people, I think people largely are unaware that sometimes it attracts some of the smartest people as well. It does, yeah. Um, some highly intelligent people working these places. <laughs> no, because you have to be a pretty clever person to write in with brevity Absolutely. about something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is an art in tabloid writing. There is, and it's a great skill, and it takes a lot of time to learn it. Mm. And uh, I would have been very lucky that I would have uh, worked with some great, you know, scribes, mm. great masters of the word. Can you remember any famous headlines that you love? Oh God! Obviously, things like "gotcha" and stuff. Well, then, then, yeah, they were they they were they were great headlines written by Kelvin. Kelvin McKenzie was the legendary Sun editor. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's been there's been different ones. You know, I, I love the, you know, you know, I love the, the the page one that we did in the mirror when Trump was elected. Picture of the Statue of Liberty crying with her hands in her head. You know, head, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, what have you done? You know? I'll tell you a good sporting And, 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 and the Mirror won uh, page one for that uh, at the press awards they, here yeah, in yeah. this country, yeah. But that was that was, that was was one of the great pages. I remember ones, was you it know? the Sun once did Up Yours, Dolores. Up Yours, Dolores, yeah. 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 yeah, that was right. Nick Parker did that story, you know, went to France and all this with truckloads of crap and, Brilliant. you know, yeah. flying the Union Jack. Here's one for you, right? You might not know this one, but. Um, well, we did some great headlines, but I, to be honest, I. I, I'd have to think about that. I, I, you Do you know, know the I one just, about Inverness, Caledonian Thistle? Yeah, yeah. Ah, bollocks. Super, super Cala, uh, uh, super Cala, are fantastic. No. What was it? No, Celtic no, are no. atrocious. What yeah. was it? So Inverness, Caledonian Thistle yeah. are a small team from Scotland. Yeah. And they beat Celtic yeah. in the FA, in the Scottish FA Cup. Yeah. Totally against the run of play. Mm-hmm. The next day, the paper read, Super Cali go ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. atrocious. Yeah, now, believe it or not, it happened again two or three years later. It did the same matter. result. Did it? And of course, how could you do that? How could you beat that headline? So they just printed Super Cali Go Ballistic Celtic Artrocious again. <laughs> <laughs> just talking about Maxwell, there was also great stories when uh, Roy Greenslade was editor of the Oh, Mirror, yes. And Maxwell, uh, Maxwell was owner of the paper, you know, and he was known to Captain Bob. Remember, he owned uh, Oxford United. Yes. And uh, Maxwell would be up in his suite. Up at the top. The father of Ghislaine yeah, Maxwell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Father of Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm, and, just be topical. And, and, and Captain Bob would be up in the suite at the top of Mirror Towers in Holborn. And he'd ring down the sports desk, you know, at 10 o'clock at night saying, uh, what was the result between my team, Oxford tonight and Reading? It's a good impression. Because he had a big deep voice. Saying, well, Mr. Maxwell, mate, yeah, it was, yeah, I'm sorry, bad news, mate. Uh, your team lost 2-1. You're fired. What result is going into my paper? <laughs> 
fake news. What do you mean, Mr. Maxwell? I can't What bring- result is going, make sure my team won. Change the results. Right. 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 And then Greenslade would have to deal with Maxwell, right? Yeah. Uh, from the pub, from uh, Vagabonds, whatever bar he was in, mm. the back, the stab, mm. and it cool him down so that the right result would go into the paper. But this is the kind of nonsense, right? Always, it's some mad nonsense, some mad ego, shit goes ego on. Ego nonsense. Ego nonsense goes on in tabloid yeah. newspapers. And of course, when you talk about the bar, you mean the phone ringing on the bar and the barman going, it's for you, Correct. Uh, Roy. And yeah, like all yeah not a mobile phone. No, 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 no mobile no. phones. Well, I remember when the bleepers came out, you yeah. know, like the bleeper was a huge thing. Bit of a nightmare yeah. for you guys was, in a way. Yeah, yeah, but they still couldn't really know where you were. <laughs> <laughs> now they can GPS you. Now they can GPS you. A couple of anecdotes. What is this? Did you gate crash Rod Stewart's wedding? Yeah. What, why? Yeah, I was out in America and uh, 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 on, a, on another story. I was actually doing a story about Brian Clough, uh, the football manager. And at the time, it hadn't come out that he was an alcoholic and he was a notorious drinker. The Nottingham Forest manager, Derby, ex-Derby County manager. So we had a tip-off that uh, uh, Brian Clough uh, was in the Betty Ford Clinic in California. Hmm. So I flew out to LA and went down to Palm Springs where Betty Ford Clinic went and I spent three weeks trying to stand up this story. So um, it turned out there was a Brian Clough. He was a Brit, but I wouldn't write it until I could see him, right? And it turned out it wasn't after three weeks, right? It wasn't him. Another I, one. It was a different Brian Clough. Oh, yes. Right? So the news desk, of course, got ballistic because this great story they were banking on, which they were mad to break. You could still have written and, it. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> they true. couldn't understand what I hadn't written and, and why, you know. And, uh, of course, they didn't have the, the balls to tell the editor. So they said, you're having out there for three weeks. You should have, you know, you should have found this out soon. This just isn't good enough wasting all this money and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I said, just put me through to the editor. So he put me through to Brian Hitchin, the editor. And Brian said, what's the story, John? I said, the story's not true, Brian. I said, I've seen this guy. It's not Cluffy. It's not him. The story's not true. He says, John, you just saved me a million quid, son, in a libel action. Where you going? Enjoy yourself. Mm. And that was it, mm. right? And then the next day, no, sorry, that night there, the news desk rang, and we had a tip-off that uh, Rod Stewart was getting married uh, in a hotel in, in, uh, in, in L.A., so I flew down to LA and linked up there with Richard Wallace, who was then to become the Mirror's editor, and Andy Coulson, who was Cameron's PR guy, editor of the News of the World, and who was king of the whole fucking, uh, king of the phone hacking operation in, in, uh, in Fort Murdoch in Wapping. Um, so I mean, it ended up that the three of us covered uh, Ross Stewart's wedding. So it turned out then that we all got, uh, we all had a good drink. But Coulson, in fairness, was, but me and Dickie now got well pissed. And, uh, some reason, I don't remember this, but apparently Rod Stewart left his wedding and came into the bar. I remember him coming into the bar and was having a drink. But whatever happened, I don't remember. Uh, he had a bust up with his missus. Massive bust up on the night of the wedding, right? And I didn't remember a thing about it, right? So anyway, the next morning I go to bed and I wake up. I got a phone call to the bedroom about, I think it was about two or three in the afternoon. And there was a news desk in London going, hey, mate, isn't it? great story, mate. <laughs> One, four and five splash. Great story. I don't think myself, what fucking story is this? <laughs> One, four, five, it's a flash. So anyway, I said, I said, I said, I can't remember the intro. What was it? And it was, oh yeah, Rod's, I was just reading, do you want to double check? I said, oh yeah, Rod Stewart had a bust up with his wife on his wedding night after she stormed out of a cali- of an LA hotel, right? Blah, blah, blah. So what happened was, we didn't, myself and Dickie didn't remember any of this, but Colson seen it all and he filed a story for the three of us. One to the star for me, one to the sun for, uh, for himself and one to the mirror for Dickie. 
yeah. to save the trip. He didn't have to. He could have stitched the two of us up, yeah. but he didn't. You know, so this is a guy who did two years in jail and subsequently became. Okay. But he was actually fundamentally parked the crap. He was actually quite a decent guy. Yeah. And I do feel sorry for what happened to him, but that's yeah. life. Yeah. He made decisions he took and he went the road that he did. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with what happened to Andy Coulson. Well, Andy Coulson did jail. Okay, for over the phone hacking. Okay, yeah. He was one of the main, because he was editor. How long did he spend in jail? He would have done, I think, about 18 months in a year to 18 okay. months in an open prison. Yeah. But he was Cameron's press officer. Yeah. But before that, he was editor of the News of the World. He was, he was Mordock's man. Mm. Like, he went to Downing Street for Mordock. Yeah. That's why he was put in there. So yeah. Mordock had a man in Downing Street. Because yeah. like British politics is just such a poisonous place, really, compared to here. I mean, here, I know we give out about them, but it is kind of nice and simple. It is, it's true. And, <laughs> yeah. and, no, but as, I mean, I remember, like, I often talk to people about this on my previous radio show on, on Today FM, about how you have this attitude in Ireland of only in Ireland, or Ireland is a shithole, or, you know, it could only happen here. And really, the more you look around the world, the real, realize how we're not that bad. No, not at all. No, in we're fact, not, we're no. probably in the in the upper echelon of actually, doing all right. Yeah, we are actually in terms of probity and in terms yeah, of answer yeah, being answerable. Yeah. Really, and in terms of corruption, you know, the the corruption, you know, that was there maybe thirty years ago was not there. It's disappeared. Yeah, it's but if you look at the shamelessness going on right now over in London, in the in, in with yeah. Boris and everything, yeah. right? Well, I met Boris. I met Johnson. I mean, I cannot believe Johnson is Prime Minister of Britain. And I say this to all my English friends. I would have met Johnson, right, on the road in the north uh, during the whole peace process and negotiations. He was working with the Daily Telegraph and he was covering the, the north and he was doing colour pieces. You know, and he was a clown. You know, and I would have been in the cram bar having points with him and the whole lot. Like, he was just a fucking dickhead, yeah. right? I can't believe, I could not believe, right, that this guy became Prime Minister of England. <laughs> you know, it's just absolutely amazes me because, like, you know, I just didn't think he had, he might be able to speak Latin, but he certainly didn't think he had the brains, you know. You know, unbelievable, you know. So some of the choices that they make is just incredible. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I often have go at, you know, various politicians here in my column um, in the mirror every week, uh, but I'd never make it personal. It would always be on issues and policies and, you know, most of them are decent guys. I mean, Michal Martin is a very decent bloke. I know him a long, long time. Fradka, I've had lunch with once, seem a decent fella. Don't worry, but he seems a decent enough guy. Mary Lou, I've met, nice woman. You know, they're all, they're all the hearts are in the right place. Brendan Howland's a decent bloke. A public servant and, believes in what he's doing. Game. And it's a game, you know, but they're not nasty, you know, they're not nasty people, but they're all quite intelligent people who are well-educated, who've come up through the ranks Pascal you know, is a bright boy you know Pascal is a bright boy you know but like I mean journalists becoming politicians is just a joke you know it's bad enough journalists advising politicians which is an even bigger joke right? <laughs> and the amount of journalists leaving jobs in Dublin become to become government advisors totally. they they're can't even advise it. themselves yeah. never mind advise no, the government they're all doing it now oh, I know they're all yeah. doing it yeah. all the journalists yeah, and, then, yeah, and if you ring them looking for a story they look at you as if you have three heads <laughs> <laughs> do you not forget, remember what you do? Do you not forget what you used to do, son? Oh, huh? absolutely. Huh? Wow, I love the Brian Clough, um, the Brian Clough one. I didn't see that coming, actually. Julia Roberts? Oh, Julia Roberts, yeah. Well, that was one of the great fuck-ups altogether. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Julia Roberts uh, ditched... Uh, uh, Kiefer. Uh, Kiefer. So they said, look, another great story from the 90s. Ditched Kiefer Sullivan at the altar in LA. Didn't get married and did a runner. The runaway bride. So she ran to Ireland. So we got a tip off. They all thought she was in London. Then we got a tip off that she was in Dublin. So, but she was after leaving for Dingle. Now I happen to know a guy who was the court, who was um, a very famous chauffeur in this country. I won't name his name, but I says, have you got Julia in your car? I says, I can't talk, but what do you think? I says, that's grand. I said, would you be heading for Dingle? He says, you wouldn't be too far wrong. 
I said, Grant, no bother. I'll leave you be. I won't be annoying you. Good luck now. So I said to the lads, will some of you stay here? And Big Baz Bammy Boy from the mail, uh, he was he was over. Very famous showbiz guy in England. And there was a full house here now packed. There must have been about 20 journalists, photographers from all, all, on some from America, all trying to find Julia Roberts. So anyway, we went down to, we split the pack. So we went down to um, uh, Kerry, myself, Colson, who was then with the son, the famous Andy, and uh, Bill Acas, um, a friend of mine uh, as well, uh, another colleague from the Mirror. So uh, he came down. So we all headed down to Kerry. Actually, no, Bill stayed here, sorry. Bill stayed in Dublin and I went to Kerry. And so there was a pack of us that went down to Kerry. So we booked into a local hotel down there and we had a party that went on for a week. Yeah, of course, <laughs> waiting. Waiting to see her ladyship arriving. But anyway, we were in a restaurant one night, right? And uh, we subsequently found this out. And uh, we were all that pissed, right? That Julia Roberts was actually in the restaurant, <laughs> next right? Year. Sitting at the table next to us, right? And we were all that pissed, right? None of us recognised her. And that is the God's honest truth, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Right, and we only found out then the next day where she stayed that she fled the nest. Mick Devine rang me. She stayed in the B and B. We got all the pictures and we did a whole piece for Saturday's paper. But we absolutely fucked it up and we had to try and keep it quiet. And eventually the news desk found out about it about two or three weeks later. Yeah. And you know, and I got a massive bollocking off my boss, yeah. UJ Duffy. Do you know what I think about when when you say those stories? I think that like they make <laughs> they would make a great movie. A lot of them would, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. and they would yeah. make a great yeah. movie. There's never been a proper uh, movie done on tabloid yeah, journalism. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, uh, you know, there's probably, there's definitely one there to be made from the 80s and the 90s. There's yeah. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that, yeah. you know. I mean, this country is just unbelievable for news. I Why mean, do you really say is. that? It just is. It's like, whatever it is, Ireland is just... You know, from a story point of view, just keeps, it's the country that keeps giving and giving and giving. <laughs> you know, when even look at today, you know, we're talking, you know, with the fishing. Yeah, the, 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 the fishermen the Russians, right, going the out Rus- to the Russians. But the fishermen going to go out to the Russians, right? Yeah. A brilliant story. Where would you get? Absolutely Not only that, story. the story then takes on a new yeah. wave of its own because Joe Duffy then does Liveline and he has people who are ringing in going, Joe, I want to be a volunteer yeah. to go out and then I want yeah. to join them and protest yeah. against the Russians. Yeah, and I want and to Joe go out the boat. You are only a pea shooter against a nuclear warship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's all bananas. But I mean, this it really is an incredible country for stories. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're a sociable people, as Michal Martin said mm. last week. And we are. And we love an old year. We, we like to drink. And we like to drink and we like to chat and we like to laugh our heads off when somebody makes an ease of themselves true, yeah. or somebody's a gobshite or yeah. whatever it is. But the stories, like, I mean, and we like where to tell stories. And where, yeah, where would you get it? The two fellas bringing the poor man into the, into the, into, into, into the post office down in Carlo. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just box office yeah. story. I mean, I know I'm just speaking as a former but editor. But not only that, you know, not people only... will say, oh, that's shocking what he's saying, that poor man died. I'm not being disrespectful no, not, to the no, man no, that no, died. No, 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 no. But I mean, just from a story point of view, yeah, it's but, bananas. But in Ireland, you have always a top set, right? Absolutely. So not only did two people bring a dead man in to try and get the pension, yeah. the next day in another post office, there's a sign in another post office that says, no pulse, no pension. No pulse, no pension. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the sense of humour. I know say, I know that is the sense of humour. I know these guys are saying, well, the nephew is saying, well, he died on the way outside. We didn't realise. And maybe the chap is telling the truth. I don't know. Yeah, you know. it is, yeah. But, uh, I, but, a story, but this country for stories has yeah. just been an incredible... And during my time, like, I mean, I had an amazing career as a reporter, but equally as an editor, you know, the amount of stories that it's given and given has just been... Unreal, it really is, you know. Yeah. And I've done 40 years in this game. Yeah. And I'm still getting stories. Just one further anecdote here. Somebody sitting on Bill Clinton.
Clinton's knee in the Oval Office. What's this, Cathy? Yeah, um, no, no I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what this was. Uh, yeah. It was uh, just as Joran's peers as uh, editorship in the mirror. And uh, during the early 90s, um, uh, the IRA called a ceasefire and the Clintons, Bill Clinton came to Belfast in 95. It would have been, it would have been around November 95 and he came to Belfast and to Derry. It would have featured in Derry Girls. Actually, there's an episode on it in Derry Girls, which is a fantastic program. I love it. And um, so Bill Clinton came to, uh, came to Belfast and he was, two kids made the speeches. One was a girl called Cathy Hamill, uh, who was Catholic and another was a Protestant lad called David Sterrett who were taken from, um, Two schools on the divide, one from the Shankill, one from the Falls. Uh, Cathy's father was was, uh, was shot dead when she was only one in front of her. And uh, so she wrote this letter to Mr. Clinton and David wrote him. And anyway, she read out the letters of what she wished for, peace and the whole lot. And the Clintons were really moved by it. He met the kid briefly, but didn't spend any time. So my news editor, Paul Smith, came up the other day and said, why don't we bring the kids, if we can, back to America. Why don't we bring them out to see Clinton? Because he didn't get any time with them. Why don't we fly them and bring them out to uh, to the White House to see Clinton in the White House and to help kick the peace process on a bit more and also bring them to America because the Americans will love them. So we did. So the, pl- the plan was hatched. The peers was all over. So he said to me, all I want you to do, Cairns, he says, is to get me that kid on the president's knee in the Daily Mirror T-shirt in the Oval Office. <laughs> Right? I said, no bother, boss. <laughs> and we did. And it was done. And we, we flew her over. We got in contact with the watch. I have to say, John Bruton was brilliant here. He was Taoiseach. He was yeah. very helpful. Uh, the White House was brilliant. Uh, they were mad to see her. And they ended up, Cathy switched on the Christmas lights in Washington with Clinton. And she ended up spending, we got a picture, T-shirt. She was leading the news in ITN. But she ended up spending, her and the family, who were lovely people, she ended up spending about two hours with the Clintons on her own, which was brilliant. And then we brought them down to Disney in Orlando afterwards. And then we I did the same thing then with David. We brought him out in January and he went and he met the Clintons again in the White House. Exactly the same amount of time he was spent. The only thing he did was he didn't switch on the lights mm. and then we brought him to him and his family down to Orlando. And both kids made a huge impact in America. Ah. And uh, it was really, uh, it was an important story at that time because nice. people now don't appreciate the peace we have in this country. Mm. You know, I remember growing up every day with soldiers being killed, bombings, shootings on the RTE news every day. We don't have, we haven't had that mm. for 25 years and we never, ever want to go back there. Mm. And peace is precious, mm. you know. And as we look at what's going on in Ukraine at the moment mm. and we're all worried mm. with the Russians in the West mm. and is there going to be nuclear war? What the hell is going to go on? You know, peace is really precious. Mm. And we had so much pain and, and loss of life in this country, you know, that we have to learn to live with each other. Whatever else we have, yep. you know, we need to sort them out like grown-ups, respect others, other people's traditions, you know, up north, you know, the, you know, there's a million unionist people, we have to embrace them, learn from them, learn to live with them, respect them, you know, not bully them, you know. And, and, but also, and, and, I think, in, in, also I think you, 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 what you say is absolutely well, well taken and also in what I said earlier about the, in a much more polarised world that we live in now, we are a good, um, we are a good, uh, example to the oh, world yeah, yeah. of yeah. how we haven't gone absolutely. there in terms absolutely of that, yeah. And, yeah. and we shouldn't um, and the peace process has been one of the great stories yeah, and you know and Bertie Ahern you know he gets again a bit like Mono gets a lot of flack in this country mm. unfairly mm. the role he played in that was phenomenal mm-hmm. you know, never to be underestimated mm. as of what Clinton did and uh, what to call him the uh, Senator uh, Senator Mitchell mm. who died there recently like yeah. he played a huge role and Paisley like Paisley am I going to tell you the first time I ever met Paisley senior no no <laughs> I was uh, I was up north and I went to it. I think there was a press conference. There was some meeting uh, between um, I don't know. I think it was John Major and uh, all the leaders in the north in Hillsborough Castle. 
So I came out, but we, you wouldn't know as Paisley's favourite journalist is actually a Catholic from South Armagh, Eamon Malley. Oh, yeah, right. right? Eamon so, Malley, I know. Yeah, yeah. Eamon's a great guy. And so anyway, Paisley comes out. a lot with today, Yeah, man. yeah. Paisley came out, brilliant journalist. Yeah. Paisley came out and uh, anyway, we all started questions. So I went to start to answer, to ask Paisley a question. And he looked at me and he says, uh, I don't think I know you. <laughs> I said, oh, Dr. Paisley, um, I said, John Kieran's a reporter from the Daily Mirror. He, he stuck the hand out and shakes me hand. He says, well, you seem a nice young fella, but I don't think you're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then he answered the question. But he had a wonderful sense of humour, you know. Well, and he was remember, so charismatic. And was. I could see then why so many people, you know, on the on, on the unionist side in the north voted for him. Because he had a wonderful sense of humour. He did, but also, um, do you remember how the relationship between himself and um, McGinn McGuinness was chronicled towards Absolutely. the end. Absolutely. And yeah. how, obviously, McGuinness felt the same, that yeah. this guy oh, yeah. had a little bit of a magnetism. magnetism. That's and, right. And also that he had something going on underneath Needs the surface. Yeah, he had, yeah. That this was... The game he was playing, yeah, but underneath yeah. it there was yeah. another person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that was and that was great to see. But Paisley, or you know, I I I, I enjoyed him. And then you know, there would have been other people there, like David Irvine, who died very young at yeah. fifty-five, and he played a huge part in the whole peace process behind He's the scenes. Progressive unionist, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he yeah. was a wonderful man. He was a mm. wonderful guy. He was just he he used to always say to me, you know, like we're all working. There's no difference between the working class Catholics and the working class Protestants. We just go to different churches, but we're all working class. Yeah, we all have the same problems. Mm. We all have the same poverty, yeah. the same lack of opportunity, yeah. and the same lack of education. Mm. You know, we just go behind different flags, yes, yes. but we have the same social issues. Yes. And that was always his attitude. Yes. He's just, you know, he's an incredible guy. Okay, God rest him. Well, well said, um, J- Jumbo. A few people have been listening to the podcast um, live. Yeah. And uh, they, so you would hope they're, they're kind of on the, not the beeper, they're on the, the phone. <laughs> so you wouldn't mind talking to them, would no. you? Okay, so Boris Johnson's on the line. Would you say hello to him? How are you, Boris? May I say, what a wonderful, wonderful time I've had listening to you, mumbo jumbo. Mumbo jumbo, chumbo wumba. I get knocked down, but I get up again. I remember that very specific moment we were in the crown and you were having a seven, I think you had seven pints of harp. Was it Jumbo? Yes. And and, and you, I specifically remember you calling me a dickhead. And, that, and of course, I subscribed to that theory entirely. How on earth did I become Prime Minister? That's one of the great mysteries, Boris. Well, you we are, don't know. You are, it must have been the Guinness and the oysters in the crown. It's wonderful in the crown. Ipso facto, me talking Latin and talking... Abs- you, I remember and you were even farther than me then. You mustn't have had a bicycle. No, no, not at all. I remember you even talking Latin or was that Gaelic? It was, Gaelic. It was, it was Gaelic. wonderful. No, it wasn't Latin, it was Gaelic. No, no, ipso facto. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. No, Chumba Wamba. Yeah. Mumbo Jumbo, I call Jumbo. it. That's 100%. What I, that's what I call it. Brilliant. Well done, um, uh, John. Uh, Louis Walsh is on the line. Say hello. How are you, Louis? John, how you doing? Listen, John, I never wore a leather jacket and I never wore a pair of leather shorts. That was totally wrong, John. Totally wrong. Now, listen, the way you treated me, John, the way you treated Westlife and Boyzone was a disgrace. John, take it back. Louis, no chance. You wore the leathers. Get over it. <laughs> I never wore stilettos, John. Did you say I wore stilettos? No, the leather and the stilettos. No, the leather. Fintan O'Toole is on the line. Nice man. Yeah. Say hello to Fintan. How are you, Fintan? Jumbo, this is Fintan O'Toole, um, one of the leading generous, uh, journalists of my generation. I have been absolutely in- captivated, um, I have to say, by your dissertation 
if I could call it that. And in a sense, you represent a different type of journalism. And I've been working on my red top journalism. I have an article tomorrow um, about the Russian Navy for the Irish Times. Um, I was wondering if you could help me to red top it. So I'm working on my headline at the moment. I'm saying, um, stick it up your Bolsheviks. And, <laughs> and you're good? Yeah, stick to the, to the, stick to the yours. Okay, what about up yours, Vlad? Not bad. Yeah. Getting better. Could you help me as a yeah. seasoned red topper? We have it's written... Up yours, Vlad, Vlad is not, you know, not bad. Not okay, bad, yeah. thank you very much. Well, what about Vlad, you're bad? Vlad, you're bad. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, okay, I'm writing that down, Vlad, you're bad. no, no, no. Okay, thank you very much. And a little bit mad. <laughs> See, rhyming, the rhyming, rhyming is fantastic. Thank you very much, Jumbo. Excellent. Um, that's brilliant. That's all. That's all I can think of, uh, Jumbo. Cheapers, you, 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 you paint a great picture, tell a great story, and thank you very much for joining me <laughs> on the many, podcast. I don't think I spoke once about editing the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit about that? <laughs> thank you for coming in. And that's it from Jumbo, and that's it from me for this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast, which, as I said earlier, we are one year old exactly today. And the reason we keep going is because of you for listening, following, subscribing, and even getting in touch directly with me, Rosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all, and I get back to them all. Keep telling your friends. Let's keep growing this podcast together. Thanks to Curry's for being great support throughout the year. Take it easy, take it handy. See you same time next week. <laughs>